like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at that in just a minute. I have to say it was very exciting this morning to be able to hear from Brother Tim Fink about his work among the gypsy people in Romania. Extremely exciting to hear about the work of the gospel going forward. And I think as God's people, we are to be excited about seeing the Great Commission go forward. I think it's something we ought to get very excited about. And I think in some way, I'd like to perhaps connect a little bit of what we talked about this morning with the gospel going forward through missions and what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks in worship in the church. Uh, It's been said by a pastor before, uh, John Piper, that missions exist because worship does not. The great end of mankind is that we would worship God. We were created to worship God and to adore Him forever. And yet, we don't. And most of the, the world as a whole does not worship God. And so the reason we have missions is to make worshipers of God. And so to hear about God's plan through the Great Commission going forward and people becoming true worshipers of God is an exciting venture. So tonight we're going to talk about worship a little bit, worshiping God by growing together. If you may have noticed, that's a little bit of a a mishmash between the first two purposes of the church that we have as our four purposes here at First Baptist. The first one is worship God. The second is growing together. And these are not mutually exclusive purposes. They very often run hand in hand. And what I want to do tonight is... uh, As you know, we try to take a year to focus on each one of our purposes as a church and really hone in on that and see how we can uh, work to focus on that and improve in areas that we've been neglecting. And we tend not to focus just on worshiping God because we want to be focusing on that all year round, each and every year. And I want to make uh, a bit of an application or conjunction between these two of worshiping God and growing together. So first of all, I think we kind of have to at least in a very small way, define what worship is. And not spend a lot of time on it, but what is worship? Because in our culture today, especially in Christian culture, uh, we have a lot of different views about what worship is. And we could probably start off by saying what it's not. Uh, First of all, worship is not music. And you may expect somebody like me to hone in and, and focus on the music aspect of worship, but music is just a vehicle through which we convey worship just like many other avenues are. So worship is not music. Uh, It's also not strobe lights or fog machines. And uh, we're not going to go into depth about uh, if those could be used for worship. The idea, though, is you can't equate those things with worship. Also, lifted hands or stuffy services. Neither one of these equate with worship. Okay, It's not necessarily how loud something is or how quiet something is. Worship is something totally different than that. Worship is simply ascribing worth to God. When I say about God, or when I believe about God, or when I declare about God something to be true, that is worshiping God. Now, I can also worship other things. I can worship myself by declaring myself to be greater than other things, ascribing truth to myself that I won't ascribe to God. That would also be worship. But worship is done through all of life. 
It's not just done in a group of people like we have this morning. Often, I think, as believers, we kind of forget that, and we think, well, I can't wait till I can worship God again on Sunday. Like, Sunday's the only day we can worship God. In fact, worship is going on in our hearts each and every day in every decision that we make. Worship occurs through what I decide to do the very first thing in the morning. And worship occurs with what I decide to do the very last thing before I go to bed. And lest I play favorites in that, worship occurs in every other decision that I make in between. Because worship is simply the worth that I ascribe to God, and I ascribe worth to Him by every decision that I make in life. Do I decide to give Him priority through reading His Word? Do I ascribe worth to His Word by giving time to it? So we see the basic avenue of worship is just understanding that it's ascribing worth to God and that we're making decisions that show our worship every single moment of every day. So if this is the case, then we understand that worship doesn't just happen when we gather together as a church like we did this morning, like we're doing now, or even on Wednesdays or another time of the week where we gather together in groups with believers. We can worship God as individuals in our homes. So the question you might ask, and many people have asked, is why do we need to gather together as a church to worship God? If we can worship Him as individuals in our own homes or at the coffee shop or at the library, that just seems strange to me, worshiping God at the library, but but you do based on the decisions that you make. So if you can do that in those locations, why do we need to gather together to worship God as a body of believers? Well, I think there are a couple different avenues we're going to take tonight to talk about this very question. And the first is, I think we often forget the history that the Scriptures gives to the people of God coming together as a body to worship Him, and also the benefits of the worshiping community, meaning what, what, is the, what are the benefits of us growing together as a body of Christ as opposed to us just growing as individuals in our homes or wherever we happen to be. So first of all, let's talk about a history of worshiping together. Before I jump ahead of myself, let's look at the scriptures and read the verses I wanted us to in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24 and including verse 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful for what it has to say about worship. And we ask for the wisdom and the humility to submit ourselves to what the scriptures tell us and the joy to submit ourselves to your will. And we ask that you would uh, help us to understand this concept of worship, not just as something we can't get our hands on, but as something we do every day and something that we look forward to as a body of believers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So from the very beginning, God wanted a people who would declare his greatness through the words and witness of their lives together. Think about the very first person that God created. 
First he created Adam, and then he didn't leave him alone like that. God never intended worship to be just a God and me kind of thing. Now certainly, that should happen. There should be worship between God and me, in the sense that I worship God, not that he worships me. But he never intended it to be just that. In fact, immediately when he creates Adam, he says it's not good that man would be alone. And I don't think it was just the relational aspect, which certainly that is perhaps primary, but God always intended for us to be worshiping him in groups, even if it did just start with the first husband and wife. If we read in Genesis uh, chapter 2.18, he says it's not good that man should be alone. Then he creates Eve, and then the two of them walk with God in the Garden of Eden, and they worship Him through their actions, through their thoughts, through their deeds. We see a little bit later on Mount Sinai, God calls the Israelites a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Exodus 19.6. And in fact, we know that to be true because we look at the history and the calendar of the Israelites, and it's just filled with these different festivals and celebrations, which are for what purpose? It's for them to gather together and to celebrate the goodness of God and to worship Him for all that He is and all that He's done. In fact, as we see the history of the Israelites unfold and God does more and more in their lives, they added more and more festivals to remember all the things that God had done. They worshipped Him as a body because of who God is. And then we move to the New Testament a part of Scripture that we focus on even more so for the purposes of knowing what we do as a church. And, and listen to these things that New Testament writers call a group of believers the church. 2 Corinthians 6.16 It's called the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 God's field, God's building. And then Ephesians 2.19-21 A household with a foundation and a cornerstone. Furthermore, 1 Peter 2.9, a passage that uh, missionary Tim Fink quoted this morning, it harkens back to the Old Testament and also calls believers in the New Testament a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And these passages draw out the significance of the church meeting and living out life together. The Christian life was never meant to be just you running alone and saying, God, I hope you give me strength because I have nobody with me. Now, there may be times in your life where you're faced with that, but God didn't just place us here by ourselves to live life solo. He gave us the church. He gave us it for that very reason. And all of these passages come together to give us a significance of showing that it's important that as a church we live life together. Not just even inside these walls, but outside the walls as well. So as a bottom line, God doesn't give us a choice about whether we want to be in his church. If we're Christians, we're already part of the family. So after that little history lesson about God showing worship together in groups and incorporating worship as a group, I want us to just look at a few benefits tonight of growing together or benefits of worshiping together as a body of believers. Because again, you may say, look, you know, all these things I could do by myself, and I can certainly worship God by myself. But there are very specific benefits 
that the Scripture affirms that only belong to those who worship as a body of believers. And I want us to just grab onto those tonight and relish those. So let's start by talking about the very first one, and that is the benefit involved in remembering and rehearsing the gospel together. We often sing a hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, in which the hymn writer says these words, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And you know, there's nothing we're more prone to wander from than our reliance on the gospel. And we wander more quickly when we neglect to meet with the church. Look, it's, it's hard enough for us to not wander from relying on the gospel, but if we're not constantly together as a body of believers rehearsing the gospel on a regular basis, we're all that more likely to lose our reliance on the gospel and to rely on ourselves. Because as a body of believers, we meet together to remind each other whose we are, how we got here, and why it matters. Whose we are, God, how we got here, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and why all that matters, and that is to bring him worship. Remembering and rehearsing God's saving acts is a practice that is rooted in the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but if we looked in the book of Psalms, you would see all throughout these different Psalms that were written for the practice of singing them together to remember the things that God had done to deliver them. Specifically, the second book of the Bible is the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the recounting of God delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. And all throughout the Psalms, we have these different songs written in which the people of Israel would remember what God had done to deliver them and to bring them to where they are. Now, in our case, in the New Testament, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper as an ongoing way to remember his death when we meet. And that is our recounting of what Jesus Christ has done for us in purchasing us out of darkness and into the kingdom a glorious kingdom of light that he has brought us to. We have our own spiritual heritage that we need to continually be reminded of, continual uh, recollection. And we do that by meeting together as a body of believers and reminding ourselves of those things through the reading of Scripture, through singing, through uh, recitation of truth, and through preaching. All these things remind us of where we came from and uh, what we're trusting in. Paul says we're to let the word of Christ, which is the gospel, dwell in us richly as we sing. And when we remember the gospel, it addresses these common temptations that we all face. For example, when we struggle under the weight of condemnation, we think, man, this week I totally blew it. I did this again and I must stand condemned in God's sight. I mean, we we often feel the weight of condemnation on our shoulders until we're reminded of the gospel and the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Also, 
we've got the temptation to wonder if God loves us. I mean, let's face it, we look at our daily circumstances in life, and though sometimes things seem to go very well, often when it rains, it pours. And we start to face all these different things, one after another, and sometimes we just kind of wonder, does God really love us? And yet the gospel tells us, yes, he loves you. He loves you so much he gave his only son for you. What more could he give? Than he's already given to you. The gospel reminds us and confirms in our hearts that God does love us. What about the temptation we have to be so puffed up with pride at how well we're doing? Isn't it funny in the sense that it's ironic that we can go from one week to struggling with condemnation to the very next week struggling with pride at how well we're doing? But I'm sure you felt that as I certainly feel all the time is at one point I'm thinking, I mean, could he really have taken my condemnation? I mean, I just, I continue to sin. And yet it doesn't take that much longer before God gives me victory and I'm struggling with the very opposite side. And I'm saying, I'm doing pretty well, actually. And I'm not so sure I need to be reliant on the gospel anymore. Now, I wouldn't say that, but I'm not continually driven to my knees to say, God, if it weren't for you today, I'm going to fail miserably. We've got these two different extremes of temptations that we struggle with, and unless we rehearse the gospel each and every week, each and every day, unless we do that as a body of believers, we often will continue in these patterns of thought. Finally, we lose sight of God's holiness in what it takes to forgive us. We say, oh, if I sin, well... God's going to forgive us because that's his job. That's what he does. He forgives people. And it's okay if I sin this one more time because I know he's just going to forgive me anyway. Until we rehearse the gospel once again and we remember just how much it took God to pay the penalty for our sins and we remember what it cost him and we remember what a holy God he is and what he's called us to be. And all of these parts of the gospel, as we rehearse them, help us as we struggle with these common temptations. The gospel is an endless source of encouragement, strength, comfort, and motivation for people who have weary souls, and that's us. So we need to remember and rehearse the gospel, and we do that as a body of believers every week that we gather together. But second of all, another benefit is involved in the receiving of God's word together. You know, throughout the scripture, God gathered his people to address them through his word. We look in the book of Exodus, we look in the books of Kings, in Nehemiah, we see the people of Israel gathered together, and we see somebody standing up and publicly delivering God's word. Preaching formed a central part of early church gatherings as well, as pastors sought to nurture and equip believers under their care. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this in the book of Ephesians. We know that all pastors teach, but certain pastors are uh, gifted with the responsibilities and charged with the responsibilities to preach uh, every single week, in and out of season, preaching constantly for the care of the flock of God. And they will give an account for those that they're preaching to. So we can ask the question, 
if we never gather to sit under their preaching, how will they give an account for us? If you say, I can do all this worship on my own, how are they supposed to give an account for these people who aren't showing up to the gathering to worship together? Furthermore, when the church gathers expectantly, meaning they're expecting God to do something through his word, in one place, at one time, to hear God's word proclaimed is a very unique event. Let's, I mean, let's just let's face it. You go to a different group of people all throughout the world, and there's people excited about all different kinds of things. Maybe they're excited about a certain movie that comes out. And, you know, they... They're all kind of sitting in the seats. They're waiting to watch it. They're all excited. Okay, that's a certain kind of feeling that they have over there. There's other people who stand in line waiting to purchase a new book that comes out. I guess nobody does that anymore. Nobody stands in line to purchase a book. They're waiting online to pre-order it, whatever it is, okay? People stand expectantly for different things, but it's a very unique occurrence when the people of God sit down and they are in their seats or they're standing and they're waiting for God to do something through the preaching of his word. It's a holy event. And when it happens, we're not just being strengthened individually, we're being strengthened as a body together. God uses his word to bind us together in a spirit of unity that only God's word can do. And if we're not meeting together regularly to do that, we're missing out in a big way. I'm, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I love, uh, well, I shouldn't say like anybody else. Anybody else that loves podcasts, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. Um, maybe you listen to a sermon or two a podcast every week beyond just what you listen to here. I can think of a handful of different ones I listen to throughout the week, and I'm greatly encouraged by them. And I think we ought to thank God for opportunities to listen to messages on our own. It's God's kindness that we're able to download sermons we missed or messages from churches we don't even attend. But neither of these contributes is directly to the strengthening of our unity as sitting under the preaching of God's word together can. So we can thank God for these opportunities, but we can also thank him even more that we get to hear them with our own church. Because it's not just that we're being strengthened as individuals, it's that God is binding us together through his word in a special unity that only comes when we receive God's word together. So not just these two different benefits do we receive, but also there's a third one of mutual serving and caring. As we read a few moments ago, the writer of Hebrews tells us to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm stirred up as I benefit from the different gifts, strengths, and abilities God has given to other members of our church. Just a couple of years ago, uh, Pastor Pete did a series on a Sunday nights on using our gifts in the church or finding my spiritual gift in the church to minister to other believers. I find this to be one of the most encouraging and exciting truths in the scripture to rehearse. And that is that God has gifted every single believer with spiritual gifts that he wants them to use in the service of their local church. And it gets even more complicated than that. It's not that just God gives you spiritual gifts. 
It's that he so places you into local bodies of believers all throughout the world that he so perfectly lines up the gifts that he wants those churches to have. So that I look out among our church and I say, you know, it would be really cool if somebody were able to do this. But I can know very surely because of what God's Word says, we have exactly what we need. God has blessed our church with the spiritual gifts, the spiritual makeup, that we have exactly what we need to accomplish what He wants us to do. We don't have to feel like, you know, if God would just send us somebody with a gift in this area, we could really do some ministry. We don't have to feel that way. God has given us, among the members that we have, all the spiritual gifts we need to accomplish His will for us. And so when we talk about this mutual benefit, you can say, look, I can benefit from the service by sitting at home and watching it on the YouTube channel. You know, later on, when I say, you know, that's great if that's what you have to do, but if you have the opportunity to come to God's house, look, you get the opportunity to benefit from other believers who are spiritually serving you. And it also gives you the opportunity to spiritually serve them through the gift that God has given to you. And when people instead say, well, you know what, I just don't have time to use that gift, or, you know, I, I, just, I, I put in my time earlier in life, I've already kind of used up my gift, and I don't really feel like I have one anymore. <laughs> First of all, I want you to show me from the Scripture where you can use up a spiritual gift. Because I think that'd be interesting. Because I think it will cause you to study the Bible more if, if you try to challenge me on that one. So go ahead and, and try to find that passage. But the idea is God has given us specific gifts, and if we withhold those gifts from using them in our church, we are depriving ourselves of the opportunity to give God glory through what he's given us. Those gifts are not for your benefit. They're for the benefit of your fellow believers in Christ, and ultimately, those are the kind of actions that bring glory to God. We worship God through the exercising of our spiritual gifts that he's given to us. And I think one of the most accurate pictures of whether a local church is a healthy local church is if you see everybody using their spiritual gifts. If you see people serving with what God has given to them. God has given us the exact gifts that we need, and when we neglect to meet, we limit the opportunities we have to use those gifts for our mutual benefit and for His glory. Now you may say, look, that doesn't affect me because on Sundays, my spiritual gift doesn't come into play. Well, okay, I may grant you that. There may be no particular application of your spiritual gift on a particular Sunday worship service, but that does not mean that it isn't at work at some time when the church meets during the week. You say, what do you mean by that? I thought the church, you know, they met on Sundays and that's it. (laughs) The idea is we're meeting together as a church all the time. Our lives are centered around the meeting of the church. I think it was a wonderful opportunity we had to display this 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 past summer through growth groups. And the fact that we had opportunities for people perhaps who hadn't used their spiritual gifts to use them maybe for the first time in a long time. Or maybe the first time uh, ever. They had an opportunity in a small group to minister to other believers that they hadn't done before. Or perhaps they hadn't used in that particular way. You say, I'm just not sure that I've used my spiritual gifts 
in the assembly? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or even at a growth group. How are you using your spiritual gift to minister to other believers? So these are just three of the benefits. Uh, We want to finish with these last few here, and that is starting with a greater awareness of God's presence. You know, in Scripture, God chooses certain times and places to reveal His presence in very pronounced and unique ways. You can see that throughout the Old Testament, He chooses very specific ways of making Himself known and experienced, you might say. But one of these times that we notice specifically is when the church gathers. We can't worship just the same in front of a TV set or listening to some inspiring music, because when we gather as a church, there is a fuller expression of the reality of God's presence. Now again, I'm not saying that when you're by yourself that God isn't there. He's there. If you're a believer, first of all, He indwells you. Outside of that, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So we can't just say, you know, well, He's, he's not there. I mean, He is. But we experience a fuller expression of his presence when all of these different people who are indwelt by him gather together at one time. Because suddenly, this person who's being moved by the Spirit, who's being changed by the Spirit, who's being convicted by the Spirit, who is ministering through the Spirit, when all these people come together, we all together experience God in a way differently than we just experience him by ourselves. I'm not trying to be all hocus-pocus here. The the idea here is just that when God's people gather together, we see God work. And that's an exciting thing. You don't get that by just watching a TV program where somebody preaches. You don't get that by just listening to well-performed Christian music. You get that by seeing God's people coming together and ministering together. God dwells in every believer, and when we meet together, He promises that He is there with us. We also benefit from demonstrating our unity in the gospel. Now, obviously, like we said, the scattered church throughout the week is still the church. Just because we go out these doors doesn't suddenly mean that, well, we were the church in here, but once we leave the church building, suddenly we're just, you know, individual Joe. And, you know, Frank, who's not anymore the church once he leaves the doors. The idea is that we're always the church. God has called us out as a very special people. But gathering together is a physical expression and reminder of our distinctness from the world and our unity in the gospel. Singing songs and reading scripture together are ways of declaring to myself and others that I'm part of a holy temple, not just some random brick or loose pebble. God calls us a collection, a a temple or a building together, meaning that you are not a building and you're a separate building and you're another building. We're all parts of the same temple. And so when we gather together, it's like all the stones have come together to show people what the church looks like. So whereas we may be the church individually, when we come together, we are a distinctive, physical manifestation of the church that you don't get just from sitting at home or even being at 
uh, perhaps a conference of some sorts. Now, you are the church there as well, but God has called us together as a local church, and he has called us to do this. Uh, Many of us instinctively like to be with people who are a lot like us. Uh, We like to gather around people who like the same kind of music or the same kind of restaurants or people who shop at the same kind of stores that we do. Or maybe we like the same kind of um, activities. All of these things draw us together into different groups. That's why we have book clubs or video game clubs or chess clubs or things like this. People gather together who have similar interests. And that's how you sort of define these people when they gather together. But God is glorified when people who have no visible connection or similarity joyfully meet together week after week. God is glorified when I gather together with somebody else who is perhaps three times my age and likes things totally different from me. They like animals or they like blowing things up or they like doing their nails. I don't know. I mean, just all different kinds of things that perhaps they would do with other people but have no interest to me. Okay? But when we get together and we sit next to each other and we sing the same songs loudly, when perhaps we wouldn't sing any of the same songs when we're outside of the church, but we stand next to each other and we sing loudly and we fellowship and we spend time together when we have no unifying interest besides the gospel. That brings God glory because it shows the world that the gospel is something that conquers all other boundaries and borders. We see that the gospel is that powerful that it brings people together who otherwise would have no connections. And perhaps, as we see in the scriptures, such as in the book of Romans, maybe it's people who normally would hate each other, who normally would be separated by racial boundaries, by demographic boundaries, by different interests, by wars. And yet we see them gathering together and fellowshipping in a way that human families don't even do. That brings God glory. And the demonstration of our unity together in the gospel is something we accomplish when we gather together as a church. When we gather together to grow together in the gospel through worshiping God. Next, and second to last, when we share together in the ordinances, baptism and communion. We know that when people are baptized, they're publicly identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's a celebration of God adding a new member to the household of faith. And it's most appropriate if at the times that we have baptisms that we're able to gather together as many of our church members as possible. That's the whole purpose. This is one person testifying to whom they've trusted in, who has saved them, and they're being added into that body of believers. That's a holy occasion in which we want as many of our members to be at as possible. Similarly, Sharing in communion signifies our unity as a body and is an act of worship that brings glory to God. 
when we share in communion, which is a word that naturally lends itself to being an activity that needs multiple people. And as a side note, it never makes sense to me when people say that they can do communion by themselves or even just in... I mean, it just doesn't make sense. The whole point of it is the gathered church remembering together what Christ has done, what he suffered for them, and then worshiping him through the activity. This is something we have to do as a group of believers. Baptism is something we're supposed to do as a group of believers. And so we can't just say, look, I, I can worship God on my own, and I don't need to be with the body of Christ. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. God has given us all these benefits for being together. And we've covered six of them. I want to cover the last one now. And that is a greater display of God's glory. God's glory is more visible when we meet together to worship Him. Theologian Donald Whitney explains, and he illustrates in a way that many of you may identify with. When a football team wins the national championship, it gets more glory if the game is shown to millions throughout the country than if no one but you were there to see it individually on closed-circuit TV. Public glory obviously brings more glory than does private glory. You may have heard about that. Uh, there was a game earlier as a result of the violence um, around the Capitol. There was a baseball game played for the first time in a very long time, with absolutely no fans. It was just the players on the field. There's no cheering except for from the dugouts. Just, I mean, we have, we have more fans to our church softball team than there were at that game, <laughs> professional baseball game. And it just seems weird, doesn't it? Because the whole purpose is bringing glory to the winning team through the fans cheering them on. And much in the same way, Likewise, God gets more glory when you worship Him with the church than when you worship Him alone. Now again, none of this is to negate the fact that we're worshiping God through all that we do. Every choice that we make indicates what we think about God. But when we gather together to worship God as a church, the more believers we have together, worshiping Him together is giving Him more glory. We are ascribing Him more worth. Everybody should be getting together to worship God. That's why God created us for. That's what He created us for. That's why we do missions. is because we want more people to worship God. That's what He created us for. David, in the Old Testament, communed with God while with his flocks. But he also said... In Psalm 35, 18, I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. I think David shows a good balance for us. He worshiped God all day long, but he couldn't wait for the opportunity to gather together with God's people and worship God as a great group. So, as we wrap up here, let's talk about embracing these benefits. In other words, how do we apply what we've talked about tonight? How do we value the worship of God through growing together? Well, first of all, uh, it means that I'm going to show up on time. I mean, if I really value worshiping God as a group, 
That means I want to be there, which means I'm going to do everything I can to be there the whole time. And let's just be honest. Being there on time really doesn't have anything to do with the time that you get there. It has everything to do with the time that you leave. So if, if, you, do, if you try the same thing over and over again, you always end up at the same time, maybe try leaving a little bit earlier. That might change the equation. Okay. Number two, I'll pray. Say, so what do you mean by that? Pray for the gathering of God's people. I think this is something we've, we've kind of lost a little bit of. Do we pray for our worship services that God will show up and be glorified and work through them? Or do we just kind of want to get through them? Are we praying, God, would you use your word today to change my heart and to change the hearts of my family, to change the hearts of our church? Would you unify us in the gospel? Maybe a big way is pray for your pastor who preaches. Pray as he prepares, because guess what? The message does not start that morning. The message starts all the week before as he's preparing for the message. It doesn't just happen. I think most of you know that, but it doesn't just happen. So pray for him as he prepares that God would lead him to the passages and indeed the very convictions that you need that week because we're reliant on God's word together. So we'll pray. Third, I'll be prepared. What does that mean? You know, another, another thing is we, we tend to come into worship services and we tend to just, we need to spend the first 15, 20 minutes just kind of getting focused on what's going on because we haven't oriented ourselves on what we're there for in the first place. Do we go to God's house expectant that he's going to do something? And are we expecting that he's going to work through us? Fourth, I'll seek to receive. In our immaturity, we tend to look at that, and I say our immaturity, I include myself, we tend to look at that and think that must be selfish to look and expect to receive at church. But we have to remember that from the gospel, that's all we can do is receive because we have nothing to give until we receive. I'm not saying now that we come to church with the only attitude that I deserve this and that and that I'm going to leave because I paid my dues and so I expect these things at church. That's not the attitude we're talking about. The idea is we come to church with the expectation of the gospel realizing, God, I am completely unable by myself to function. I need your strength. I need your word. I need you to change me. And once you do that, then I can serve. And that leads us to the next one, is that I will seek to serve. When you come to God's house, when you come to the gathering of God's people, whether it's at church or somewhere else, whether it's in a home, are you seeking opportunities to use your spiritual gift? This is something that you don't get an opportunity to do when you worship God by yourself. So while you're gathered together, do you find opportunities to use what God has given to you? And then finally, I'll seek to respond. Do we look for opportunities to respond to what God has clearly shown to us, most specifically through his word? And perhaps more generally, through the service in general. 
because we spent all this time leading up to the message rehearsing the gospel through what we sing and through what we read through the scriptures. And when we rehearse the gospel, God shows us things about ourselves. He shows us, look, you've been relying on yourself all week for your righteousness. You've forgotten that it's all from me. Or all week you sat condemned because you thought you weren't good enough to serve me. When I said all along, no, you're not. But I've given you the righteousness of Christ, and so I'm not looking at your worthiness through what you've done. I'm looking at your worthiness through what I've given you. So therefore, don't base it on that. Just serve me in joyful response. These are the kind of things that we're reminded of as we rehearse the gospel in our meetings, in our gatherings. And so do we seek to respond as a result of what we've talked about, as a result of what we've sung about, as a result of our corporate gathering as the body of Christ? So in conclusion, don't neglect meeting. There are lots of voices that try to convince us to do other things besides gather to worship as a congregation. Lots of things. Well, I could... I could stay home, I could make sure lunch is ready for all the guests we're having over, or I could really use a little extra sleep because this week has been crazy for me. Or I've been out on a business trip all week and I really would just like to be at home for a day. I really would just rather not go. Or a thousand other reasons. There are lots of voices that try to convince us to do other things. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Determine instead to obey what the writer of Hebrews tells us when he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's value growing together as God's people and worshiping him together. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, you are so valuable beyond what we understand. And that's why we need your word to teach us. That's why we need your spirit to lead us. We need your help to see you for who you are and to remember what you have done the multitude of mercies you've poured out upon us. Father, we need these things so that we can worship you as we ought. And so I pray that you would help us to be convicted of our need to be together as your people. All the more, as we see that day when you return, coming sooner and sooner. We know what's going on in the world. We know that it is not your will that men are seeking to do, but they are seeking to disrupt your will, to disrupt your plan. And we praise you and we recognize that you are in heaven and you see the plans of man and you laugh because you know that you are in control And men make decisions, but you're the one who directs our steps. And we praise you for that. And we pray that you would, through our meeting together as a church, as a body of believers, wherever you 
choose to lead us, that you would remind us of these things, and you would encourage us and strengthen us through the gospel to live our lives as you've called us to do. Thank you for this church. Thank you for so many faithful people, even in this room, who have challenged and encouraged me. And I pray that we would continue to challenge and encourage one another each and every day, all week long, to continue to remain faithful to you. Thank you, Father, for your word, the chance to study it tonight. We pray that you would uh, change us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.